Welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast where we talk all things MMA. And there's been quite a bit of stuff going on in the sport. As well as something's going on in boxing like the Adrian Broner versus Manny Pacquiao fight, but I don't really care to talk about it too much. Things like the John Jones drug test popped up again and other fights got announced like Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa. Well, that didn't really get announced, but it's rumored to headline one of the ESPN cards. Hopefully ESPN instead of ESPN Plus, but ESPN Plus seems to do pretty well. But looking at the prelims from the last ESPN card, I mean, Donald Cerrone and Alexander Hernandez delivered some of the best numbers in a long time. I think since 2013 was the only time anything beat it in the prelims, that is, which is crazy, right? And I think the prelims numbers actually did better than most main card Fox Sports 1 numbers or Fox numbers, which shows that the audience is really gravitating towards the sport. There's a lot of casual fans that just leave on ESPN, and I believe Chuck Mendenhall said this or something, where people just leave the sports channel on, and they will catch onto the fights eventually, right? Even if they don't see the first couple fights, they'll probably see the main fight on the prelims. So that probably had a lot to do with the the really good uh, viewership on the prelims of the ESPN. But I like the ESPN experience. I think it was a little bit better than the Fox Sports experience, especially with the music that they put on. They had some good things like Trevor Whitman on the broadcast. And I said this in the Pulse Fight reaction video that they should exchange the coaches. So depending where they go, if they go to Canada for a card, they should get Faraz Ahabi on there or something, right? If they go to Ireland or something, get Kavanaugh. If they go to Florida or something, they can get Mike Brown. These high-level coaches, geniuses in the game. I believe that would be beneficial for everybody and it would be really fun too. Get a lot of different perspectives on the fights and really get to see how these coaches think when the fights go on. But yeah, hopefully Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa gets on that. And then there's also the Edson Barboza versus Justin Gaethje announcement, which is absolutely a fight that should be happening. Justin Gaethje called out Barboza a long time ago before he made his debut. He said that's the guy that he thinks will give him the most problems in the UFC which is why he wants to fight him. I mean, <laughs> Gaethje's a monster, man. Who says who their toughest fight is and then calls them out? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. The only guy that kind of did that was Gegard Musasi when he said Yoel Romero is his toughest matchup, but I don't think he called him out. Gaethje's like, that guy's going to be tough for me to beat. I want him, which is why we always tune in to Gaethje and we love him. I mean, his debut was one of the best debuts in UFC history, and he's taking top fighters since then. I mean, I don't know about James Vick, but... It just showed Gaethje's way above that level. So he has to fight the mid to high tier fighters in the lightweight division, which is a very tough road. But let's get through this John Jones thing, because to be honest, I don't care to talk about it anymore. It's just going to happen. His metabolites, this picogram thing could be in his system forever, and he'll never get suspended for it. So it doesn't even matter talking about it anymore. It's just going to be there. It's just going to go on. He's not going to get suspended. They made that clear. If it's from the same metabolites, from the same drug test a year to a year and a half ago, whenever it was, I forgot, he's not going to get suspended for it. And nobody really knows how long it stays in your system. So he could just keep that same metabolite forever, and it won't matter at all if it shows up on a drug test, apparently. So I think there's no worth in talking about it anymore. People have shoulder frustration. I think it's still messed up. I think even if he still has the metabolites in his system, this is what I think about it. If you still have the same metabolites in your system, you should still be suspended. Because what are the suspensions for? They should be suspended at least of how long the metabolites or the substance is in the system. If they know how long it's going to be in the system, that should be the absolute bare minimum of their suspension. If he has any pulses or metabolites or whatever it is in the system, he should be suspended in my opinion. Which I think would solve the whole situation, but I guess it's not how it goes. And he did get a lighter suspension than what we thought it would be. So, I don't know. Too much stuff going on with it. Even if we find the answers, even if we find out what's going on, and even if we find out everything about Terinabal, I don't think it's going to change anything. So, whatever. He's still going to be fighting. He's going to be fighting Anthony Smith. I still like to see him fight. I still like to see him compete. It's just not fair, I believe. And this latest drug test came out, I think, on the weigh-in day. It was very similar to the metabolites in his last drug test before that, which was early December. And this time it was 33 picograms. But yeah, talking about it anymore, it's not really worth anything. But I am very interested in the Romero versus Costa fight. Now, I do think, again, this is a little bit too soon for a guy like Costa. These decisions that throw these prospects, these quote-unquote markable fighters, up against the elite of the elite. We're talking about Yuval Romero, who can be one of the greatest middleweights of all time. And he is just a notch below Robert Whittaker. They're almost on the same level. So they're practically throwing up Paulo Costa at a championship-level fighter. And he's only had four fights in the UFC. The highest-ranked opponent he's ever faced 
was Uriah Hall. You could say Johnny Hendricks, but in middleweight, Hendricks is nowhere near the same as he was at welterweight, especially in his prime. Uriah Hall is the highest level opponent he's ever faced. And he did have some trouble at least getting caught by that straight right hand on his way in. He got dropped for that a little bit. It's just not a great showing. I think he should have some more competition. I know he's knocking out everybody in less than two full rounds. But this is one of the biggest jumps I've seen in a long, long time. It's very different to fight Yuala Romero than it is to fight Uriah Hall. I think the wrestling is just going to be a little bit too much. I think the speed and the power of Romero is going to match. If not, it can even trump Paulo Costa. And I even think Romero's striking is better than Costa's at this point. Costa's young. He's still very young in the game. This is a big reason for that. For that, Romero was never a great striker. He developed a striking game recently. He was a lot more just explosive and just awkward at time. But now looking at his last Robert Whitaker fight and his Luke Rockhold fight, his striking has really improved. And I believe the lolling style is really going to get Paulo Costa to run into Romero shots. Because Costa is very pressuring. He doesn't know when to turn it off sometimes. He stalks, but he's just very aggressive with it. And if you're doing that to a guy who lulls you into running into shots, like he does many other fighters, he gets people to run to his flying knees all the time, and even his check right hook sometimes, and it gets to a point where the opponent doesn't know how to get in on him, so he then pressures them back and lands the left overhand like he did on Luke Rockhold. A guy like Paulo Costa, who's that anxious to get in and land these big punches, you can never do that to a guy like Romero. And that's how I believe Romero is probably going to win that fight. I think he's going to draw in Costa into running into a potential left hand after takedowns and stuff like that to get Costa a little bit more tired. I mean, there's just so much Romero can work with. I do like the fight in the future. I mean, Romero is a little bit older in actual age, not physically or anything. Um, so I don't know how long Romero has in this game. But if Paulo Costa can get through some of the top-ranked guys, if he can get through at least a top-10 fighter, and then get Romero after three fights inside that ranking, then I would really love to see this fight. But too soon, too soon. And this trend keeps going. But yeah, I am interested in it. Just looking at those two guys, everybody wants to see how that collision ends. But skills makes a fighter. And the more skilled fighter most of the time will win that fight. And Romero is just as athletic. I would say even more athletic. I would say more powerful as well as faster than Paulo Costa. So even the physical part, I don't think it's going to be in Costa's favor. But who knows? It's MMA. We'll see. If Costa can pull this off, I mean, it's going to be a huge upset. Eh, what else is going on? Misha Tate says Cyborg never needed a strategy until the Mana Nunes fight. I respectfully disagree with that. She obviously had many strategies in the UFC. She had strategies against Holly Holm. She cannot fight like she usually does against someone like Holly Holm. And it proved to be correct. She stuck to a game plan, was a lot more methodical, a lot more cautious with moving in on home, and it won her the fight pretty easily. And even against Nunez, she was staying on the outside a little bit until she got hit. And she got hit early, so it made it look like Cyborg wanted to just bulldoze her. But really what I think is, and she elaborated on it after, is when she gets hit, she cannot help but go at the opponent because she's one of those fighters like a Vanderlei, like a Jose Aldo. If they get hit, they can't allow the opponent to get away with it without getting hit back. So... When Nunes landed the leg kick and then the 1-2, which were some hard strikes, that just threw Cyborg out of the game plan, I believe. And even um, Jason Perillo even said that they had a game plan, and that was not part of the game plan. Just shows that Cyborg just can't help it. She's a fighter at heart. You can't take the fight out of some fighters, and she is one of those fighters. And it just shows the UFC level is a little bit different than outside the UFC, right? You can't just bulldoze UFC level competition like she does against some Invicta fighters, some Strikeforce fighters back in the day. Fighters a long time ago whose skills are not up to this level. I mean, you got to commend Chris Cyborg for fighting this long. She's one of the longest running fighters in women's MMA, right? And she's made it all the way up to someone like Amanda Nunes, who is at the top when it comes to skills and technique and bringing in athleticism. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko is also there as well. But she's made it from fighters like Gina Carano years ago, 10 years ago, to someone like Amanda Nunes today, which is absolutely crazy. It just shows how far Cyborg was for a long, long time. And she's finally got to a level, follow the evolution of the sport until she was overmatched. And I hear Jessica Eyes getting a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. I guess whatever, but I do think it should be Joanne Calderwood because her wins are more impressive. They both have the same amount of wins in the division. And Calderwood never really had close fights. Jessica I had two split decisions in those three fights that she won. And they weren't that impressive, to be honest. But if it's not going to be Calderwood, I guess it's going to be Jessica I. I do think neither of them are going to beat Shevchenko. I don't see anybody in this division beating Shevchenko. But I do think Calderwood will also give Shevchenko a better fight. She's a better striker, I believe, and with better jiu-jitsu than Jessica I. 
Jessica Eye is a lot more pressuring. She brings things together a little bit better. And she isn't really in the way of punishment as much as Calderwood is. So, I don't know. I guess it's going to be interesting. But I see Shevchenko shutting everybody down at this point. Everybody's just going to see this dominant champion just run through the division and potentially become one of the greatest, if not the greatest female fighter of all time. I still think pound for pound she is the best when it comes to skills. She was obviously too small for 135. She didn't even cut weight to 135. And she went down to 125. And she's not even a big fighter there. She's not that big. Look her when she fought Joanna. They both look about the same size. Joanna's a little bit taller. Shevchenko's a little bit more stockier. But very similar in size. And Joanna fought at 115 pretty much most of her career. And Shevchenko is the living embodiment of a martial artist. Size, all that sort of stuff. She wants to trump that with skill. And that's exactly what she's doing. Khabib is saying that he has to see how Ben Askren competes in the UFC first before judging his skills and all that stuff. And seeing if he deserves shots and and all the stuff that Ben Askren's calling out for. I 100% agree. People seem to be... People are really jumping on that bandwagon really hard. I do think Ben Askren's really good. Again, I agree with Khabib. I got to see how he does against UFC-level competition because it's very, very different. Justin Gaethje looked like a monster in the World Series of Fighting, but he is not that kind of monster in the UFC, especially when people are tough and they have skills, which is something Dustin Poirier elaborated on after the fight, after he beat Justin Gaethje. He said, everybody here is tough in the top five, top ten. He goes, but we all have skills as well. So you're not just going to run through people like you did in the World Series of Fighting. And we're going to see if that holds up with Ben Askren. And Habib also said he did see Ben Askren get, quote-unquote, smashed in the 1FC. I don't think he got smashed, but he definitely got thrown around by Sapo, Luis Santos. That was not looking like a good fight for Ben Askren until the eye poke happened and the fight was called off. So we'll see, man. We'll see how he does against Robbie Lawler. It should be a pretty good fight. It can go either way. I do think Robbie Lawler is one of the hardest fights for him in the division. But other than that, let's go to the questions. I know you guys have a lot of questions. So I'm going to start with the YouTube questions. And for anybody new, if you guys want to ask any questions, you can go under my YouTube page on the community tab. And I usually post questions for podcasts on Sundays, somewhere around there. And you can just reply your questions under there. The questions with the most likes do get read first. Or you can ask me on Twitter if it's more convenient for you. But just make sure to hashtag them MMA meeting. So then we go to the most liked comment. Keke edits. If you fought in the UFC, who would be your nightmare matchup? So it's an interesting question. Um, So let's say if my skills progress to where I think they probably will. But with the same style. So Zabitz would be tough. Especially with his height and length. Khabib. I mean, Khabib's a nightmare for everybody. His style would be terrifying. Tony Ferguson's, but I think Tony Ferguson's style would be fun to compete up against to a point. Maribek Tysonov's would be somewhat of a nightmare. Gregor Gillespie, especially if he gets it to the ground, that'd not be fun at all. That'd be a nightmare. Those really come to my head right away. Alexander Volkanovsky would be a nightmare. His style is pretty formidable, but I think it's the X factors, like his toughness, his attributes. That would be very frustrating. And also the fact he doesn't go away if you're able to hit him. And he keeps the pressure coming. It almost looks like he gets stronger the more he gets hit, which is weird. That would be a nightmare as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of people, of course. They would go to, I can destroy anyone in a fight. Can you, though? Do you think Sohudo beats TJ again at 135? Yes, I do think so. It seems like he has TJ down. I was very surprised he's able to trap TJ. Nobody's able to trap TJ. And he did it easily. And it looked like it was part of his game plan. It looked like he meant to trap him. It looked like he knew when to get TJ and and he knew when to be out of his range. And as well as getting away from his punches or under his punches. Right? And he didn't even use his wrestling. I mean, he used it when he dropped him. But he never took TJ down. He never even attempted one. So him going up to 135, he's also going to be bigger. And I believe he can be as big as TJ. If not bigger at 135. I think going up. As for most people, going up a division, you're usually better, such as Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum. But you also see guys like Frank Yeager. I know he didn't start 145 or 135, but he wasn't cutting weight at 155. So if there's a 140-pound weight class, that's where I think he would be naturally. You know, So I think someone like Cejudo can also do the same because he is a very, very big 125-er, and that makes a difference. Even though TJ may not have as good as a chin at 125 as he does at 135, Sohudo's going to pack on more power in his punches, so I think it still evens itself out. I think it's still going to be somewhat the same. And Sohudo, I believe, is going to be able to take shots better at 135 because he's not going to be as dehydrated. Then we go to Kagan or Kagan Bakirov. I pronounced that wrong, man. I'm sorry. 
Do you think Tony Ferguson is the type of guy to eat soup with a fork? He'll be the kind of guy who would take that challenge. He would show everybody how it's done. I mean, look what he does in fighting. He does things quote-unquote backwards, quote-unquote wrong, but he still makes it work. Why not do the same thing in life? Eat soup with a fork and show everybody that it works. Then we go to Teron Morris. The past three super fights have ended in first-round KOs, and the one before that, second-round KO. Do you think the lack of competitiveness will make the UFC lighten up on the champ versus champ fights? Yes, they should. This is a reason. I think Dana White said this also after when they asked him a similar question. This is a reason why they weren't doing it before. There was almost never a, a champ versus champ fight. There was BJ Penn versus GSP, and that was it. The next one was Connor versus uh, Eddie Alvarez. And the others were Daniel Cormier versus Stipe, first round knockout. Amanda Nunes versus Cyborg, first round knockout. And then TJ versus uh, Cejudo, first round knockout. And the last two, they each ended in less than a minute. So these champ versus champ fights, people think that they're going to be so legendary. Like it's going to be this absolute technical war between two of the best fighters in the world. But it usually shows the smaller guy, the smaller girl, beats the bigger person really easily. So... I think they should calm down on it. They should only be doing them when it's like someone like GSP versus Anderson Silva, like that, where let's say Max Holloway gets a few more title defenses, Khabib gets like five title defenses. Now let's do it, where it really is a super fight. Those are what I consider a super fight. GSP versus Anderson Silva, both in their prime. Silva versus John Jones in their prime, that sort of thing. Not two fighters who just got the belt and then they fight each other and that sort of thing. Cyborg versus Nunez, that, that's a super fight. They were both the most dominant female fighters of all time, right? You have Ronda Rousey in there as well. But in terms of competition, in terms of their skills and stuff, that is a legitimate super fight. That, I don't blame them for making that. Just Nunez was better. She was far better than Cyborg. But things like TJ versus Cejudo, I don't think should have happened yet. I don't think the Connor versus Eddie Alvarez fight should have happened. I mean, they both just won their belts. That was the first title defense for Eddie Alvarez. This also shows that if you just get the belt, if you're not defending the belt, it doesn't really mean you're the absolute best of the division, right? This is what Matt Hughes used to say a long time ago. You are not the champion until you defend the belt. And what GSP has said, and I always agree with this, defending the belt consistently proves how good of a fighter you actually are. It's much harder to do than jumping divisions and winning belts. Which is why GSP versus Anderson Silva back in the day was an absolute super fight. They both defended the belts enough to the point where they were the absolute best of their divisions. And the only logical competition they had at that point was to face each other. Or face another champion, such as Silva versus Jones or something, right? Because Jones was also in that class. He de- he defended his belt many, many times. And there was no one really there at the moment to challenge him. So, the lightweight champion wasn't ready. Didn't defend the belts enough to fight GSP. Those three guys were in the mix. Silva with both of them. Toned down on the champ versus champ fights, I think. I think it would be better for everybody. The friendly hobo, why doesn't she love me? I don't know. Are you commenting this after Cejudo scored with... One of the Bella Twins. I feel happy for that guy, man. I, even though I I do not know him at all. It's like one of those times where your friend shoots their shot and scores. You just feel happy for him, right? It's one of those things. But why doesn't she love you? Um, I don't know, man. You know what, though, man? Screw her. If she wouldn't fall for that wrinkly sausage face you got going on there, then who needs her, dude? You could just see the glowing charm and the most chiseled chin you've ever seen in your life. It even looks like you're giving Uriah Faber a run for his money. And and who doesn't love Uriah Faber? I mean, who is she to turn down a deluxe, jumbo hefty, stayed in the sun too long, fried, burnt, sausage-looking Uriah Faber super chin? They don't deserve you. Slow on Viper. Or slow on Viper. If you could breed two fighters together to create the ultimate fighter, who would they be? Imagine fusing GSP and Khabib. You would make the ultimate wrestler of all time. <laughs> How could you stop them if they get a hold of you? You just couldn't. But I would put together Prime Anderson Silva. If I can go back in time, bring Anderson Silva in the present, I would fuse him with uh, Khabib. You couldn't stop him. You couldn't stop him. You're going to strike with him? Good luck. He could take you to the ground if he wants to. If he has some problems on the feet, like the Chris Wyman thing, let's say he starts fooling around. And if I could take that out of Anderson Silva's DNA, outside of his genes, to fool around to that extent, I would take that out, make him more serious, like an Israel Adesanya kind of character. Or even that, I'd put Israel Adesanya with Khabib. There you go. Ultimate fighter. Potentially one of the best strikers you can ever watch in the UFC. And the best wrestler slash grappler with the best ground and pound and really good submissions. There you go. Jack Nutson, who wins these fantasy matchups? Khabib versus Dustin Poirier. I got Khabib. I think Poirier is an amazing fighter. 
I think he's very well-rounded. I think he has power. He has speed. He's a better striker than Khabib. I just don't think he'll stop the ground game. I don't think he'll stop the takedowns at all. So I think Khabib actually finishes him late in the fight. Gegard Mousasi versus Israel Adesanya. I'll go with Mousasi. I'll go with Mousasi. I think he's good defensively enough to not get caught by Adesanya too well and shoot it for takedowns whenever a counter presents itself, right? If Adesanya throws a long left hand or long right hand, depends what stance he takes, most likely going to be a long left hand if he wants to take the outside foot, especially that he is a longer fighter than Musasi. Musasi can take the lead leg, turn it into a double leg, and I think he's a much, much better grappler than Adesanya is. So I think he could potentially submit or TKO Adesanya on the ground. Does that hold anything against Adesanya? No, because he's only had like three fights in the UFC, and Musasi's one of the most experienced fighters of all time. He had all this time to progress his skills. Adesanya is going to get there. I think Adesanya eventually, maybe within a year, will surpass a guy like Musasi. Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa. Um, Whitaker, I think pretty easily. I think he's just much better of a striker. He will not be in those shots. Costa would be a little bit too aggressive. He'll run into the blitz of Whitaker. I mean, if he's coming forward like that, and they're in the center of the octagon, I think Whitaker can back up a little bit, find his opening, and then explode forward potentially get an angle so he explodes forward with a jab stays in close maybe looks for the counter shot from costa slips dodges that punch and lands a counter shot of his own to really hurt costa something he does to a lot of people he did it a lot against romero but he was finding head kicks on romero but i think he'll land the right hand on paulo costa so i think he'll knock out costa in the third round zabit versus max holloway i don't want to talk about it yet all right i do have my nightmare matchup coming up now i'm not saying zabit is a nightmare matchup it can be volkanovsky it could be some guy you guys are not expecting. But I just want to leave some suspense for that. Some anticipation for that. So I'm not going to say so much on Zabit versus Holloway right now. Douglas Lima versus Darren Till. Right now, I got Darren Till. I think Douglas Lima is a better grappler, but he is a little bit smaller. I don't think he's a lot smaller. Just a little bit. But I think he's just too plotting. I don't think, I don't think he's going to catch Darren Till at all. He can try to do what Tyron Woodley was doing, where he was sitting back and waiting for the right hand. But I don't think it'll work so much on Darren Till like Tyron Woodley's can because Woodley still has the wrestling threat. Lima does not. So Darren Till, all he has to worry about is the striking. He can let off a little bit more, move in and out like he did against Cerrone or Steven Thompson, you know. So I think Darren Till win a decision. I don't think either of them would get caught by some big shot. I think they're both defensively just way too good. And Lima doesn't really set up shots and he doesn't really throw light. Everything he throws is to knock you out, but... That also shows that he doesn't throw often. So if he's looking for a shot and just picking his counterpoints, it's going to be very hard to do it on a guy who is that elusive and that quick and fights that long like Darren Till. Then we go to Luke McLaren. Each champion in order from worst to best in terms of who is the most skilled pound for pound. And then Khabib versus Woodley versus GSP Triple Threat who wins. Okay, let me look at all the champions. Now, again, we're talking about some of the best fighters in the world today, so... If I rank one of them as the worst, it doesn't mean they're a bad fighter at all. So just the worst out of the absolute top elite fighters. So skills-wise, pound for pound. You said pound for pound, remember. It's probably not going to be the lighter guys. Man, I don't even want to answer this question because I know some people are going to be upset at my picks because all the champions have big fans. So this is just my opinion. This is just what I see. And this is just off the top of my head. So... If I study them just for this specific question, it might be a different list. Just throwing that out there. Skills-wise. Now, okay, and another thing. You're saying pound for pound, which means things like attributes like power and speed and stuff isn't going to be as much of a factor in this one. So it's more going to be the technique and the skills only. The worst out of the best, I might have to say it's Rose Namajunas. Rose has some of the best striking, especially offensively, but she does have defensive holes. And she is not the greatest in the clinch. If I were have to say where some of her weaknesses are that the other champions do not have, it's going to be in the clinch and in close, in the pocket. And also her wrestling offense isn't the best. It's good, but it isn't compared to some of these other fighters. Even someone like Shevchenko, even Nunez, it's not as good as theirs. I would say it's better than Whitaker's. It's not as good as Jones. It's not as good as Cormier's. It's not as good as Woodley's or Khabib's. Holloway just doesn't go for a whole lot, so you can't really take anything off of it. Not as good as TJ's and not as good as Suhudo's. And then I might have to say it's Amanda Nunes. She has these X factors and these attributes that really can knock people out cold left and right. In terms of her technique, well-roundedness, her skills, I don't think she's as good as everybody else. Because guys like Robert Whitaker, although he is not the most well-rounded, his striking is way beyond Nunes's. 
And his takedown defense is one of the best of all time. This is almost an impossible list to make. Now, this is where it gets really tough for me. I honestly do think Shevchenko is one of the best, just with skills. I mean, she is so well-rounded. She's good everywhere. Not just good everywhere, she's elite everywhere. And that is something even most of the male champions cannot say. I think skills, Tyron Woodley might be it, but then his fight IQ comes into play. And that is something you have to take note. If you don't take fight IQ into play, then he would probably be after that. But if you do take it into play, I don't know if you throw him or Robert Whitaker next. And the reason why I'm saying Robert Whitaker is he is one of the best strikers, of course. He has probably the best takedown defense out of all these fighters. But offensively, it's not there. And his offensive BJJ is almost non-existent, at least of what we've seen in the middleweight division. So i probably throw in Robert Whitaker next. But then again, we only have seen how many fights in the middleweight division from him. Not many. So I'll throw in Whitaker after that. And then I'll throw in Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley isn't the best striker. He has a very good timed right hand. And he mixes up his wrestling really well with his striking, especially getting the opponent to hesitate on him. And he has really good offensive wrestling, really good defensive wrestling, and good BJJ. But I think a lot of it has to do with his power, his speed, and not as much on his technique like guys like Max Holloway or something, right? Or even Daniel Cormier. I think Daniel Cormier does a lot more on the feet. I think he's a little bit more technical on the feet than Tyron Woodley is. So I'll throw in Tyron Woodley. After that, I'll throw in TJ Dillashaw. I think he is very well-rounded, but defensively, it's not as good offensively. He does get hit sometimes. Like you saw in the Hanson fight, he was able to get trapped when he never really does. Someone was able to find that out on him. He has gotten taken down by guys like Dominic Cruz. His BJJ is solid, but I don't think it's better than most of the champions. I don't think it's better than Holloway's. I don't think it's better than Khabib's. Woodley's, it's comparable, but I think Woodley's is still a little bit better. I do think it's better than Whitaker's offensively, but defensively, I don't know. It's not better than Jones. It's not better than Cormier's. It's not better than Nama Yunus's. It's not better than Shevchenko's. And it's not better than Nunez's. So I would have to put TJ Dillashaw after that. And then I would put in Henry Cejudo. Cejudo's very good striking, very good right hand, very good distance work. Some of the best wrestling in the UFC period. But I don't think his striking matches up to some of these fighters like Max Holloway, like Robert Whitaker like John Jones, like Shevchenko's. So I'm going to have to go with Henry Cejudo after that. After Henry Cejudo, I'm going to have to put in Shevchenko. I might get some disagreements on this because I do think a lot of people might see her as she's part of the female divisions and she lost to Nunes. Yes, but when do you ever see her in trouble? When it comes to skill and technique. Technically, when is she ever in trouble? Never. She's never in trouble technically. Against Nunes, she had a bad problem with the reach and the size. She couldn't get in on Nunez. Nunez keep a long distance on her. She couldn't close it without falling into danger. So you saw a lot of back and forth without anyone landing anything clean, right? So even against someone like Nunez, who's able to fight at 145 and cut weight to 145, whereas Shevchenko weighs naturally at 135, we're talking about a 20 to 30 pound difference between her and Nunez, and she is still technically capable of making it such a close fight. And even people think she won the fight. So I would have to say, technically, she comes after that. I mean, if you look at her compared to someone like Henry Cejudo, I do think she has better striking. She's not as powerful as Cejudo, of course. But then again, we're taking away just the power, strength, and speed advantages that they have naturally because of the weight classes and because of the gender. So I do think Shevchenko technically is a better striker than Henry Cejudo overall. She does a lot more than him. Defensively, offensively, she is just elite as it comes. I think uh, her BJJ is better than Henry Cejudo's. Of course, Cejudo's takedowns are much better than Shevchenko's. But I think that's really the only place he has a big advantage over Shevchenko's style, right? You can even compare it to TJ Dillashaw, right? I still think her striking overall is comparable to TJ's. It's very close. I think her BJJ is very comparable as well. I think defensively she is better than TJ overall. Just fundamentally sound. TJ is not the greatest with fundamentals. But he gets away with everything because of his footwork style, his patterns, and the directions he takes. Defensively, nothing is really behind the basics. Which does get him caught by guys like Cody Garbrandt, by these big overhand rights. And they're just set up by basic shots. They're able to catch TJ, right? Even Dominic Cruz landed many strikes on TJ. And so who was able to land these, again, basic fundamental shots on TJ? Where Valentina never gets hit by almost anything anybody throws at her. So I'm going to go Shevchenko after that. I'm going to have a tough time between Khabib or Daniel Cormier. You know what? I'm going to throw in Daniel Cormier after that. I understand he went up to heavyweight. He won that belt. He is very technical, but then again, he's going up to heavyweight, whereas Khabib is the lightweight champion. It's a very different level of skills there. But then again, he did fight guys like John Jones, but there's a reason why John Jones might be number one on this list. But looking at their styles, looking at their skills, looking at their technique, 
I think Cormier may be a little bit better of a striker. I think it's very close. Habib does have a better jab. He does have a better right hand. But here's the thing. Daniel Cormier, I've seen him get taken down by guys like Gustafson, guys like Anthony Johnson. Whereas Habib, nobody's able to take this guy to the ground. The last guy I took him down, I think, was Abel Trujillo, who is a pretty good wrestler. But he only did it briefly and just got ragdolled for the entire fight. Guys have out-wrestled Cormier in MMA. So I think Habib is a better grappler slash wrestler better ground and pound, and very good submissions. So I'm going to have to put Daniel Cormier after that, and then I might put in Khabib, and then I'm going to put in Max Holloway, and then John Jones is number one. Now people are going to be like, why would you put Max Holloway that high? I do think that Max Holloway is the best striker out of all the UFC champions. He doesn't get hit often. He hits more people than anybody else in his division. He gets hit the least in his division, and his skills are absolutely insane. Whitaker is a very good striker. I would probably say he's second, but I do think Holloway is a bit better than everybody else. Whitaker is absolutely one of the best strikers right now, but I don't think he mixes up the striking as well as Max Holloway does. Holloway throws many, many techniques with different forwards. He's able to switch stances. He's able to fight entire fights in different stances. He'll fight one guy in orthodox the whole way through, fight another guy in southpaw the whole way through, and then let's say he fights another guy by just switching constantly the whole way through, and he'll make his performances evenly as effective in all of those fights. The only other two that I think could do the same are probably John Jones and TJ Dillashaw. But I don't think Jones or TJ are as good of strikers as Max Holloway is. They both make many more mistakes, especially defensively. I don't think TJ can fight as effective as Holloway can by staying in one stance. TJ really has to keep switching. And I think when it comes to BJJ, Holloway's better than TJ. I believe his defensive wrestling may be better as well. So I'm going to have Max Holloway's number two, and I'm going to have John Jones as number one. John Jones has the full package. He is one of the best wrestlers. He's not the best at everything, right? He's not the best wrestler. I think Khabib's a better wrestler. He's not the best at BJJ. Out of the champions, he might be. He's not the best striker, but in all of these aspects, he is top tier 100%. Right, I said that about Shevchenko. I think John Jones is even more so in everything, right? He's a better wrestler than Shevchenko, better in the clinch than Shevchenko, better on the ground than Shevchenko. Striking-wise, I think it's a little bit close. I actually do think Shevchenko is a little bit better of a striker overall with just, just pure skills, but John Jones is not far behind that. So then you ask Khabib versus Woodley versus GSP triple threat. I think if that sort of thing, knockout power is going to be very important, especially fast hands. I think Tarn Woodley would win. And using his fight IQ, he would probably know to take out GSP first because one-on-one he'll have an easier time with Khabib than he would with GSP. So using his smarts, using his power, his speed, his explosiveness to end a fight quickly, let's say if Khabib and GSP go at each other really quick, time where they could take out GSP right there and fight Khabib one-on-one and then win the triple threat. My list, my list looks pretty crazy now that I'm looking at it. It's almost an impossible list, but man, I challenge anybody to make a list like this and make it not crazy. I think any list will look pretty crazy, or at least something would be extremely disagreed on. I don't know. I'll probably look back at it another day and be like, why did I put that guy there? And the triple threat, man, anything can happen, but I think Woodley would have an advantage. Then we go to Frankie Yeager versus the top 15 of Bantway. I'm going to make this really quick. Beats Hanyaya, beats Peter Yan. It would be a tough fight, actually. That would be a very tough fight with the boxing and the wrestling of Jan. Edgar, some problems, destroys Almeida. Beats down Perez. Beats down Stamen. Better than him everywhere. Takes down Font and does what he wants to him on the ground. I think he has a tough fight with Dodson, but able to win a decision. Too much for Munoz. Too much for Sterling. Wrestling's too much for Lineker. He probably will get tagged up on the feet, though. Better than Rivera everywhere. Morais would be a problem, man. That would be a tough fight. I think he would edge out a decision. They will never fight, of course. But I think he would edge out a decision on that one. I wouldn't be surprised if Morais would beat him. Too much for a Sun Sao. I think he's better than him everywhere. Dominic Cruz. Okay, we're talking about Prime Cruz. This would be a tough fight for Frankie. And I'm pretty sure Cruz is a bigger fighter. He's definitely longer and taller, but I think he will weigh more in the fight. I'm going to go with Cruz on that one. I think his footwork will give too many problems. I think he'll be out of the range of all Frankie strikes. And I think the distance he'll keep on Frankie will keep him safe enough and effectively stop the takedowns. If he does get taken down, I think his scrambles will be enough to stand back up. Cody Garbrandt, I think the first one will be very tough for Frankie. I think he might get dropped a couple times. But I do see the wrestling maybe giving Garbrandt a little bit of a hard time. I think he could go either way, but I'm going to stick with Frankie. Then TJ Dillashaw, I'm going to go with TJ on that one. I think defensively, he could stop a lot of Frankie shots. I think he will get taken down, of course. But for the most part, I don't think they'll be too effective. And on the feet, I think TJ is just a little bit better of a striker. Frankie has the same setups. And I think a guy like TJ, with the corner he has, will be able to pick that up early. 
So I'm going to go with TJ in that one. I think he win by a decision. Then we go to Stas. True or false 2019 edition. John Jones becomes the heavyweight champ by the end of the year. I'm going to say true. I think the fight with Cormier will eventually happen. I don't think Cormier will retire until it happens. GSP officially retires. Maybe. Uh, I'll go with false on that one. I think he's going to stick around for a little bit. Not fight too often, but just stick around. Khabib stays undefeated. I'm going to say true. Zabit and Adesanya become champions. Both? By the end of the year. I'm going to say false. I think one of them will, but I think one of them will lose though. Alan Think, how does Henry Cejudo fare against the top 15 of Bantamweight? Smashes Haniaya. Too much for Peter Yan. Destroys Almeida. I think it'd be a bit of a mismatch. Wrestling too much for Perez. Better than Stamen everywhere. Font would be a tough one, but I think the wrestling would make a difference. This is very similar to Frankie Edgar here. John Dodson, I think he beats him very comfortably. Better than him on the feet. Better than him in the wrestling. Pedro Munoz, again, beats him anywhere. Beats Aljamain Sterling everywhere. John Lineker, that would be a fun one. I think this would be a tough fight, especially with the striking style of Lineker. And he will take Henry Cejudo's shots. I don't think Henry will be able to take too many of Lineker's shots. The wrestling, I think, can make a difference, though. So I'll go with Cejudo on that one. Jimmy Rivera, again, I think Cejudo's better than him everywhere. Mahler Moraes, I think it'd be a tough fight. But I think his takedown defense is not going to be enough. And even on the feet, I think Cejudo can keep enough distance and counter Moraes with the takedowns. Rafael Sansao, I think this would be a very tough fight for Cejudo. I think the grappling with the wrestling and the size of a Sansao can be a bit hard for Cejudo to get past. I think Cejudo's a much, much better striker and that's where he will probably win the fight. After some maybe failed takedown attempts, he will keep it on the feet, find his openings, find the right hand and catch a Sansao. So I'm going to go with Cejudo on that one. Dominic Cruz. I'm going to go with Cejudo. I think he could counter Cruz on his way in. And the wrestling, I think, will give Cruz a lot of problems. Cody Garbrandt. I'm going to go with Henry Cejudo. I don't think Garbrandt could take that right hand. And the wrestling, Garbrandt will be overwhelmed by that as well. TJ Dillashaw. I think Cejudo beats him again. I think it'll be a much, much more competitive fight. But I think Cejudo might finish him later this time. Maybe third, fourth round due to the right hand again. Jimmy Jimmy, number one. What is the best style to beat Cejudo? Well, you're going to need good takedown defense and you're going to need a good sprawling ability. But the best thing to do against Cejudo is just keep distance, right? Move in and out on him, throw long range strikes, keep a jab on him at all times, especially being in the orthodox stance. Cejudo is not a big fighter, he's not a long fighter, and he fights with that kind of style as well. He likes to keep a long distance and move in and out. You could do that a little bit better than he can, right? He has to come in on you a lot more, and if you can keep distance on him constantly, it also makes it hard for him to shoot him for takedowns. And he likes to come in linearly in straighter lines, especially for his right hand and especially for his takedowns. I would say like something like long distance, maybe a taekwondo style with kicks and movement with good hands but also really good ability to sprawl and create space and move away from Cejudo. Number two, what can TJ do differently in the rematch? Well, don't throw overhands at someone like Cejudo like that, especially from a long distance. A lot more jabs, like jabs for no reason at times. Just flick them out there at Cejudo, create some space, keep him on his heels a little bit, throw out a little bit more head kicks, especially off the lead hand, depending on which stance he takes. Leg kicks are good. I would think side kicks would be a little bit more helpful. Things like that, right? And with takedown defense, I don't know what he can do differently because he didn't really defend takedowns. So maybe he has that correct. But the things that he got caught with, the things that were throwing him off in the first fight, those are some of the stuff I would point out. Ryan Kearns 9, do you believe there is any fighter in the UFC who can move up two divisions and get a win against a top 15 fighter? Yeah, Anthony Johnson. <laughs> um, right now? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let's say Darren Till can probably do it. I'm pretty sure he could do it, right? I think he could go up to light heavyweight and beat one of those top 15 guys. I mean, it's a pretty shallow division, so yeah. I think Tyron Woodley can do it. I think he could also go up to light heavyweight. I think some of the middleweights can go up to heavyweight and beat some of the top 15. I think Romero can do it. Uh, Whitaker can probably do it. I'm going to think of some of the lighter guys, though, because moving up to heavyweight and light heavyweight where the skills aren't nearly as equal... Makes it a little bit easier, so I think Nama Yunus can go up to 135 and beat some of them. I think Ioana could too. Jessica Andrade, she did beat some 135ers. Dominic Cruz can? That'd be a stretch though, moving up to lightweight. Maybe he's a very, very big bantamweight, so I wouldn't throw that out the window. Could Holloway actually buff up all the way to 170 and win some fights? I wonder. I I, I don't know how big he can get, but it seems like he can get pretty big. So yeah, there's there's fighters. There's probably more that I can't think of right now. Tony Solomon. Rumble versus top 15 at heavyweight. K1 
KO Struve. He already beat Arlovsky. I think he beats him worse this time. Beats Walt Harris. Beats Shamil. Toivaso would be tough. That would be tough. But I do think he can catch Toivaso with some big shots. It'd be tough. I don't think Toivaso will go down too easily, but he could pull that off. Justin Willis. That'd be a tough fight. I don't know if he'll beat Willis. I think Willis is so big. I think he could probably take down Johnson and grind it out. Tibora. He would have a hard time in the beginning, but I do think he'll eventually catch him. Alexei Olenek. I'm going to go with Olenek on that one because the ground game is just too much. I think he could take down Johnson and wear him out into an eventual submission. JDS. I'm going to go with Johnson on that one. I don't think JDS will be able to take his shots and he's going to be pressured backwards. Johnson, if he's going to be able to pressure JDS backwards, we all know JDS doesn't do well in that space. He doesn't do well against the cage and his punches has come out a little bit too looping where Johnson is going to find the openings down the center with the overhand, with the straight right, all that sort of stuff. Overeem, I think he gets knocked out. Alexander Volkov, I'm going to go Volkov on this one. I'm going to go Volkov. He's way bigger, much better of a striker. And Johnson does not have the cardio, right? And he doesn't have the heart that a guy like Derek Lewis has to eventually come back. I think Volkov will eventually TKO him probably in the second round. Curtis Blades, I got Blades. Takes him down easily and just grinds it out. Francis Ngannou, I got Ngannou. Too big, more powerful, very fast. He's just like a bigger version of Anthony Johnson. Except he doesn't wear out and give up the fight as easily. Derek Lewis, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. If Lewis catches him one time, I think it's over. And Lewis has a decent chin, but can he get past the speed that early? I don't know, man. This can go either way. If it goes past the first round, I got Lewis. If it ends in the first round, which most likely will happen, I got Johnson. So I'll say Johnson. Stipe Miocic, Miocic easily. Daniel Cormier, Cormier easily. So we're going to go to Simply Pump. Fun matchups. Till versus Colby. I got Till. I think striking is too good. Takedown defense may be a little bit too good. Colby will probably run into some shots. And he's much bigger. Gustafson versus Romero. I got Romero on this one. Takedowns are going to be tough with the striking. I think he's more powerful than Gustafson. I think he's faster than Gustafson. Gus does have better uh, cardio, but I think the overhand will find its home. I really think so. Ortega versus Volkanovski. Ooh, that's a good fight, man. That's a really good fight. Neither guy are going to go away. I think if the fight gets finished, it's Ortega submitting Volkanovski. But I think the way Volkanovski would win is by a decision, by hitting Ortega over and over again. I think on the feet, it'd be pretty even. But will the fight eventually go to the ground? Will it be forced to the ground? That's going to be tough. Can Volkanovski overcome the striking of Ortega, get past the offense, and just have Ortega rely on defense, which isn't the greatest at all, and just keep battering him? Can he get to that point? I do not know. I'm going to go with Ortega. I think he could eventually catch Volkanovski. I think he could probably land a knee. could probably land an elbow on his way in. could probably land some uppercuts, land a lot of jabs, all that sort of stuff. And if Volkanovski ever shoots in, Ortega catches him easily. So I'll go with Ortega for now. Connor versus Cowboy. I got Connor. I think it's a good matchup for him. The only thing is, if he gets taken down, Cowboy's going to dominate. I think he'll eventually submit Connor. Taking Connor down is going to be tough for a guy like Cowboy, but... Cowboy has really good takedowns. They're not explosive. They're not powerful to get people down against their will. He just catches them off guard. He caught a guy like Darren Till off guard, where Tom Willie couldn't do it. He caught Robbie Lawler off guard, and we all know how hard it is to take Robbie Lawler down. He took down Alexander Hernandez. So he could potentially take down Connor, but Connor's never really off balance. And his footwork is so good. His distance work is so good. It's going to be hard for Cowboy to find that angle. So I got Connor. If it comes to just striking, pure striking... Connor, I think, knocks out Cowboy. Tyron versus Gaslam at 185. Ooh, that would be a good fight, man. Their first fight was close. I think this one would be close as well, but I see a finish in this one. Both guys are going to be more powerful than before. Both have a very good chin, but man, one of those chins are going to crack, and Gaslam's chin is insane, man. Absolutely insane. Tyron doesn't get hit often, so how would he get hit by Gaslam at 185? I don't know, man, but Gaslam at 185, he has a whole new power in his boxing game. That he's never had before. I'm going to go with Tyron Woodley though. I think he's smarter than before. I think the wrestling will be the deciding factor. I think Gaslam will box him up if it comes to it. Because Gaslam is not afraid to exchange with Woodley. But even like before, Woodley was able to catch Gaslam with a lot of overhand rights. Gaslam was able to eat them easily, but he was getting caught by them. I think Tyron will win this one. I think he mix it up, land right hands, and get takedowns. Whenever Gaslam comes back at him. Landon Martin. I'm sick of all these who beat who questions. We need some real questions to answer like, which top five fighters have the biggest dicks in the in the UFC, really? I need a genuine answer for this. Hashtag no homo. <laughs> Am I on the fighter and the kid? I'm just kidding. Uh, they talk about that stuff a lot on there. 
I do enjoy the podcast, but it gets a little strange sometimes. Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Did you ever see the picture of Francis Ngannou next to Mighty Mouse? As well as the stories about Gegard Musasi. Not something I, I purposely looked up. I mean, I was listening to Joe Rogan's, I think it was Joe Rogan's podcast. It was someone's podcast. And I think um, one of the comedians that come on the show, they mentioned it about Gegard when they were in the sauna. And there was that picture of Nganu and Mighty Mouse. And it became a little bit of a meme. It looked like Nganu was scissors choking another Mighty Mouse. But I just saw it on Twitter randomly. But yeah, man, I, I just have a good memory. That's really what it is. I just have a good memory. This doesn't mean anything. This comment has a lot of likes. Why is it that low on in the comment section? Shadow the first. Okay, guys, please like so he can see and I can know. So, Weasel, I'm 14, turning 15 in the month, and I'm really fat, 5'9", 260 pounds, but I feel very explosive. And if I join MMA gym, I could be good, like very... I could throw a spin kick very hard, and I have two ways of fight style, like Conor McGregor way, as I call it, or the Francis Ngannou way. So please tell me if I should join or not, and are you impressed? Please be honest, sir. Also, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Physically, athletically, it seems like you're pretty athletic, especially for the size. So if you could cut down and, let's say, get in shape, fight shape, which is better than in shape, you could probably do a lot, especially by just your description, right? But that isn't the most important thing, right? The most important thing is the mentality. Do you want to do it, right? That's the first thing. Do you actually want to do it? If that's the case, try it out. That's what I always say. If someone says, I want to do it, try it out and you'll find out. If you stick around for the practice and you actually enjoy it, even though if it's rough sometimes or but you still want to keep coming back, then I say, yeah, you should probably just get into it. Just have fun with it. That is the main thing, right? The passion for it. If you don't have the passion, it's going to be hard to last, especially being happy doing it. But looking at the fact that you want to ask this question and it seems like you do actually want to do it. So what I would tell you is try out a gym, right? You will never know if you really, really want to do it unless you try out. There's a lot of people that want to do it. Right, they go to a gym, but after like the first practice, after like the first week, they don't want to do it anymore. They just want out. But they would never have known that until they try out the gym. The tricky part is which gym do you try out? Right? That's the tricky part. So that comes with a little bit of research in New York. I don't know how far you would like to commute. It depends how much you actually want to do it. But if you actually want to do it, I I would think that you wouldn't care to commute a little bit further. But you are 14, turning 15, so you do have school, I'm guessing. Unless you're somewhat of a genius for school. I knew some people who like graduated high school at 16 or they were in their first year of college at 16. So, But there should be a lot of good gyms around there, right? Just try out a good gym. Research some gyms out there. See what people say about them. See how you do. If you like the atmosphere, if you like the environment, if you like the training regimen, if you just like constantly learning, 100% get into it, right? You'll naturally lose the weight. You'll get into shape easily. And I believe if you got into shape, you might be a bit of a monster. So I say you should join and try it out. Not so much by the kicks, not so much by the explosion, not so much about the power and stuff, just from the mindset. Because the technique, the explosions, all that sort of stuff, people can generate, people can work on it, people can develop that. But if you do have it before ever training, that is a plus. And if you have the mindset to go with it, yeah, that's why I'm saying that you could be a bit of a monster. And then the last one on YouTube, Patrick Lees. What would happen if weight classes were abolished and everybody had to compete at open weight? Number one, would top class lightweights, featherweights, bantamweights, flyweights, etc. automatically get cut from the UFC? Or do you think they would potentially be competitive against guys like Alan Crowder? I think some of them will be competitive against guys like Alan Crowder, um, other heavyweights of that sort, but not all of them, right? Some of the top guys. Flyweights is going to be tough. Bantamweight, the higher they go, lightweights can get pretty big. So I don't think they'll have too much of a problem against guys like Crowder. But yeah, most of them would probably get cut if they're not going to go back to the weight classes. Number two, if a very light fighter like Henry Zudo, for an example, did have a fight with a guy like Alan Crowder in heavyweight, what would be the best strategy? Would Zudo be best fighting at his natural weight and just relying on his speed? Or would he try to bulk up substantially? I would think fighting at natural weight would be better. If you bulk up, you're going to be fighting at a weight you're not comfortable in, right? You're going to have to stay at that weight for a long period of time to get comfortable in it and see how your power and speed and stuff play out. So I think sticking his natural weight, relying on his speed, moving in and out, landing shots, exiting, all that sort of stuff is the way to fight a big guy like Crowder who probably will gas out. The ultimate goal is to get him tired to the point where where they're not as dangerous to come in on, right? So a lot of footwork, a lot of in and out movement using speed, not lingering punches. So Sudo has a very good style to do that, that karate linear style. In with a jab, right hand, exit immediately, stuff like that while Crowder misses a shot. That would be pretty good. But eventually, 
what those will get the bigger man to do is to try to chase you down, right? Try to cut you off, all that sort of stuff. That's when your footwork comes to play. Sohudo moving is going to be so fast compared to Crowder trying to cut him off. It could eventually get Crowder tired, especially if Crowder's trying to land some big strikes and Sohudo's just being defensive until he can get the fight back to the center, right? Just use movements, use footwork if you're getting pressure to the cage until you can get back to the center. And that usually comes when the bigger fighter throws some big strike. You could duck under it. You could slip the punch, potentially land a counter shot, and circle back to the center where you can move in and out again, right? That's somewhat of a strategy strategy to use. If you get taken down, uh, man, you got to get out of there. You got to go. If you get taken down, that's when the BJJ is going to be the most useful. Wrestling with a guy like Crowder, yes, I think Suo can get out of some positions just by pure technique and then eventually stand up again. But if he gets taken down flat, gets into his guard or something, gets into half guard or something, Suo's going to have to really pick up the BJJ game. So that's some of a strategy that comes off the top of my head. So then we're going to go to the Twitter questions. Daniel SC at DSISAC. What rules would you like to change or improve? How would you use technology in the octagon? Uh, video, ref, all that stuff. Um, knees to a grounded opponent, I think, should be legal. I like that. I like knees and soccer kicks and stuff. 12 to 6 elbows should be legal as well. I think if you make two fouls, it's an automatic point deduction, right? If you grab the cage twice point deduction if you grab the cage and grab the shorts after point deduction i.e conor mcgregor versus habib and herb dean's explanation about it i mean what (laughs) he made two different fouls i think he said something like that like he made two different fouls so it wasn't a point deduction he didn't make two different fouls he made like 20 and still no point deductions at all he got many warnings but what's a warning so that's why point deduction should be utilized a lot more after a point deduction if you do it a third time I think it's a two-point deduction. If you do it a fourth time, it's a DQ. But for a fighter, I don't think they would like to win by DQ, even if they're winning the fight. Let's say the fighter losing cheats over and over again to the point where they can get a DQ. Instead of a clear-cut loss, I think it should be up to the other fighter as well. So I think the other fighter's input should also matter. And also judging should be completely changed. The 10-point must system should be completely changed. It's kind of hard because I do like the pride model where they judge the whole fight. I think that's how they judged it instead of just rounds. But then again, what's the use of rounds then, right? I do like if they just judge the whole fight. And judges, I think there should be a lot more judges and as well as tests to become a judge that actually matter instead of, oh, you are you like MMA? Oh, you're a boxing judge? Oh, come on over here and judge the highest level of MMA, which can dictate the entire future of these UFC high-level caliber fighters. You want this job? Oh, come over here so you can also dictate how much money these fighters get and how much they should not get, you know, that sort of thing. So I think uh, tests should be made, requirements should be made, and I think there should be something like seven judges. And if a judge or a ref makes a questionable decision, they should be interviewed after the fight as well as have some sort of hearing or whatever it is immediately after the fight in like a press conference sort of a thing where they explain themselves, and I believe there should be somewhat of a body which can see and judge what that judge or ref said, and if it actually is merited, right? So if they make a questionable decision and it's absolutely terrible, like let's say Cecil Peoples, right? Cecil Peoples, I think he judged Shogun versus Lyoto, the first one, and Shogun was winning the fight primarily from leg kicks. He was landing a lot of leg kicks. And I think Cecil Peoples gave the fight to uh, Lyoto Machida because he's looking at what could potentially end the fight. And he said, leg kicks don't finish fights. So if you say that after a questionable decision, overturned, the other fighter gets the scorecard. And they should be interviewed after. So like if Joe Rogan's interviewing a fighter and there's something questionable about the fight... So in this case, let's say Henry Sudo versus TJ, although I do think it's a very good stoppage, but there is controversy. I think the ref should explain himself, right? And if he can make a lot of sense, just kill it off from there. Make it logical for everybody why he stopped the fight the way he did. So let's say, uh, I think it was Dan Murgliata who ref the Jeremy Stevens versus Josh Emmett fight, and he landed the illegal knee as well as some elbows on the back of the head. I think the ref should be given an interview afterward to explain himself and then have this hearing afterward. Orban Kid, what do you think of Connor saying that he said don't be bitching or stop bitching at the end of the third round of Khabib fight? We all heard it's only business, right? Yeah, and even Khabib said afterward that Connor did tell him it's only business. So, yeah. And it did not look or sound like he said anything else besides it's only business or something around that. Don't be bitching, stop bitching. That, that, that did not look or sound anything 
of the matter. So, yeah, I don't know. I think he's trying to spin it. And Habib said he thought Connor told him that just to get Habib to calm down in his in his assault, right? And uh, aggression to finish Connor. Somewhat of a strategy, maybe. But Habib said when Connor told him that, he saw it as a weakness. Quick one by Brian at Brian underscore Toaster. Why was Brian Ortega able to have more success wrestling with Holloway than a seasoned wrestler like Ricardo Lamas did against did against Max? Also, who would win, Habib or Whitaker at 170? I think Ortega did catch Holloway off guard. And the thing about Lamas is, if you're finding a wrestler like that, you're most likely going to game plan for the wrestling more than anything, right? So against a guy like Ortega, they probably thought, okay, this guy's probably not going to take me down, but we'll be there to react to it if he tries. So they were most likely working on the striking a lot more than the wrestling and probably the BJJ more than the wrestling. So against a guy like Lamas, you're probably going to game plan for the wrestling a lot more and train for the wrestling a lot more. And Habib versus Whitaker at 170. I'm going to go with Whitaker on that one. I think he's just so much bigger. And his takedown defense is absolutely insane against guys like Romero and Shaka Ray. Doesn't even like hit the ground against those guys. And his striking's way beyond Habib's. And his distance work is going to give Habib a lot of trouble. And if Habib wants to close in that distance the way he does, it's a dangerous game against a guy like Whitaker. Kiwi 104 at Kiwi 104 I've watched a lot of Connor's fights and have noticed he doesn't utilize his jab much, except during the Floyd fight. You figure out with his long reach, he could just pop it out there and maybe just set up the left hand a little bit more. Why doesn't he do this? You think, thinks. Yeah, I I see a lot of people think he has like this amazing jab. He never throws jabs, right? Just how people thought that he switches stances. He never switches stances. He always fights just southpaw. And it's really just the left hand. He throws the right uppercut, but that's it. He doesn't even throw right hooks. Doesn't really throw jabs. He should. I mean, he is a pretty good boxer. And the fact that he got this far with just the stuff he uses, right? The left hand and the right uppercut mainly. He rarely ever throws jabs and right hooks. He has decent kicks. But he has very good movement and very good timing in that left hand of his. It's very impressive how he got this far, though, with that skill set. Which is probably why a lot of people underestimate him early on, because he wasn't doing much else. But he was still catching people with the same hand every single time. But yeah, I think if he utilized a jab a lot more, it would really benefit him. Especially setting up that left hand that he always looks for. Why doesn't he use it? I, I don't know. I mean, he has every reason to use it. But he just doesn't. I don't know. The jab is the most important punch a fighter can ever have, right? And because of that, it's the hardest to master. Can't perfect it, but I don't know how to say it. It's the hardest to evolve it at the highest level, right? Because every boxer is trying to get their jab better. Connor just doesn't use it. Kevin Simmons at Chunk 29 Talking about um, superstitions and stuff. Whenever any champion starts talking about what's later other than their fight, they almost always lose. So... What do you think of Tarn Woodley hinting a move up the middleweight at the end of 2019 and kind of overlooking Usman? Saying Usman is an old version of him kind of surprised to me. Took me by surprise, I guess he would say. Yeah, I don't like any champion ever saying that. TJ was just saying that. Look what just happened to him. He was saying he's going up to 145 and fight Max Holloway. Now, Tarn saying he's going to move up the middleweight. Is he going to get ragdolled by Usman or get caught? I swear, man, if this happens again, it happens to everybody. And we'll do a couple more. At UA Smatico. When a fighter is capable of taking a certain punch, how much of it do you think is a natural durability? He has a chin. And seeing the shot coming, do you think in the future the durability will be enhanced through specific training? It has a lot to do with natural durability, of course. Just some people could take a punch better like guys like Mark Hunt. And some people can't take a punch really well like guys like Alistair Overeem, right? A lot of it has to do with seeing the shot coming. If you get hit by something you don't see coming, those are the ones that knock you out because you can't embrace for it. And more times than not, People are running into the punch when they can't see it. When you can see the punch coming, even instinctively, sometimes you just move with it. Instinctively. Because you see it, you just want to move away from it. So it catches you. You still have all your senses there. Guys like the Diaz brothers are very good at seeing punches. And which is why you see them pull on punches a lot. Especially Nate. Whereas Nick likes to cover up on them a little bit more. And another thing is cardio. If you are fresh and not tired, you can brace for the shots a lot better. And if you're tired, it's harder to see the punches coming. And even if you see the punches coming when you're tired, sometimes you just don't embrace for it quick enough. Which is why guys like the Diaz brothers never get knocked out. And when they do get dropped, they're always there. And another thing has to do with the weight cuts. If you cut too much weight, you're not going to be able to take a good shot that well. I made a video about some of the dangers of weight cutting. And I talk about that a little bit more on there. So yeah, it has a lot to do with all that stuff. And taking a punch is always going to be enhanced through the training. People who have never trained before, people who don't fight, people that aren't too involved in martial arts, especially striking martial arts, 
they are a lot easier to knock out with punches because they usually don't see the punches coming. They don't understand angles. They don't understand how they got set up on before the punch comes at them. And they don't know how to embrace for punches. They're usually just all offense, right? And when you're all offense, it's harder to see punches coming because counter shots are some of the hardest punches to ever see coming. They're focused on attacking you. They're throwing punches your way. And let's say you slip on the punch, you get off the center line, or you block the haymaker and you land a right straight down the center. They're never going to expect or anticipate or react to that right hand down the center because there's nothing in their brain. There's no muscle memory telling them, oh, wait, this is danger zone here. They just get caught flush coming into it. Stuff like that, right? I think as training gets better, I think durability or or having a better ability to take a punch is also going to go up. And the fact that fighters are going to have better cardio for the most part. Dan Rem or Remy at Dan Remenhorn. How does strategy differ from a three-round fight to a five-round fight? Would it be smarter for fighters like Connor and Derek Lewis to go into their five-round fights with a plan to go for an early knockout rather than trying to survive the whole time? Sometimes going for the early knockout, I think, is a better strategy. If you're known not to have the greatest cardio, I don't think trying to survive until you're late in the fight to knock the opponent out is the best strategy, right? So I think Kavanaugh, I don't know what Connor's strategy was, but I think someone said that his strategy was to tire out Khabib and then catch him late, which is probably the wor- one of the worst game plans I've ever heard of, if that is true. Surviving Khabib to get a late knockout, you're surviving his grappling for the most part. You're going to have to survive the wrestling. You're going to have to survive the darkness that he brings on top of you. He's going to smother you. You never want to be in that position with Khabib. So to beat Khabib for a guy like Connor, he's going to have to catch him in the first two rounds. Connor, I believe, would have to spend most of his energy in those two rounds. That's what I think. Khabib's gas tank is obvious to everybody in the game. Fighters, fans, analysts, commentators, the organization, everybody knows Khabib's cardio in general is much, much better than Conor McGregor's. So, strategically and being honest with yourself, if you were in Conor's position, you would have to take a note on that. Maybe I'm not going to outlast this guy. Maybe I'm not going to catch him late. Maybe I'm not going to be as fresh as he is in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. So, I should try to catch this guy when I'm my strongest, right? In the first two rounds... I'm probably a lot more dangerous than he is. Or at least I'm much more dangerous in the first two rounds than I am in the third, fourth, and fifth. So I should develop a game plan around those early rounds of what I should be doing. Rather than the entire fight trying to outlast this guy and fight him when now he's stronger than I am. Right? You're kind of fighting an uphill battle at that point. So for another example, let's say you're fighting Tony Ferguson. A cardio machine, you know he's not gassing out at all. No matter what you do, what you throw at him, what he does to you, how how his output is, it doesn't matter. This guy's going to keep going forever. And let's say Tony Ferguson is fighting maybe a Conor McGregor or some other fighter who just doesn't have the best gas tank. And you know they have a good first and second round, like strong first, second round. They start fading toward the third and then then the fourth and fifth are just not the same fighter. Don't try to fight Tony Ferguson and approach the fight like you're going to outlast him. You're going to beat him in the later rounds. That's where you want the fight to end. No, you're going to have to try to catch him early. Look at like Anthony Pettis for an example. Pettis doesn't have the kind of gas tank Tony Ferguson does. And you saw Pettis started fading a little bit toward the end of the second round. But he went all out in the first two rounds. And he was able to catch Tony like most people don't catch him. Guys like RDA and some other fighters, they try to outlast Tony Ferguson and fight evenly with him the entire fight, and they just couldn't keep up. You saw Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee went pretty hard early in the fight. He kind of had to. He was also compromised by the staff infection, but he had some good positions on Tony because of it. But then he started gassing out, and Tony just ran through him. Anthony Pettis went off on him, caught him, and started fading because it wasn't enough. Even though Pettis has gone five rounds before, so someone who only goes like two good rounds... Maybe three, but fighting Tony Ferguson, even if you can go three on average pretty good, you're probably going to go only two good rounds with Tony. You got to do something. You got to think about something. How can you approach the fight for the first two rounds to beat a guy like Tony Ferguson? That sort of thing, you know? You shouldn't be trying to go all five rounds and, and just stay even with Tony the entire fight. That's very hard to do unless you have that gas tank, unless you have the cardio to never tire in the fight, even if it goes all five at a very high pace. People, for some reason, they never want to admit that they don't have good cardio, but it's just an attribute. You can work on it. Cardio, you can work on more than you can, like, strength or speed. Strength or speed can only go up so much. It's usually natural, and you build on your natural abilities. You can really build on cardio. You really can. There's a bigger spectrum of how far you can 
get your cardio. When fighters don't say that they don't have the best cardio, I think it's kind of an ego thing. I think it's a little bit of a pride thing because getting tired is probably the worst thing that can happen to you in a fight. But I've seen many fighters say about themselves that they don't have knockout power. They're not that fast. I've seen many fighters say that stuff, but no fighter will ever say the cardio is bad. It's an attribute as well. You have to be honest with yourself at least about that stuff. Some people don't have knockout power. That's just a part of them. Dominic Cruz admitted it by himself. He doesn't have the knockout power that many other fighters have. Some people admit that they're not fast. They're not fast fighters. They're not athletic. The same way you're honest about yourself with those stuff, even taking a punch. Some guys who can't take a punch, they got to be honest with themselves. I probably can't take a lot of shots. I got to take a different approach. I think Alistair Overeem kind of did that where he became a little bit more elusive and stays on the outside a lot more. I think he knows that I can't exchange with these guys like I used to. You got to be honest with yourself about the chin, about your cardio, about your strength, about your speed, about your technique, everything, because that's the only way you're going to get better at all of those things, really. Chin is going to be the hardest thing to get better at, of course, but that's the only way you can ever even try to evolve any of that. If you think you have the best cardio, but everybody knows you only have a good two rounds, three rounds in you, you're never really going to get that better because there isn't much focus on it. Do you know how you can kind of look at it? Just a theory. Someone who doesn't have good cardio trying to outlast guys who are known for their cardio. Again, everybody types is different. Everybody's different. So naturally, some people are going to have an advantage when it comes to cardio. Slow twitch people are going to be better with cardio. It's just natural, right? Guys like Anthony Johnson aren't going to outlast John Jones or Alexander Gustafson. You know, these guys who are a little bit more slow twitch than he is. So fighters who are trying to outlast the fighters with better cardio, it's almost like someone who's not known for knockout power trying to brawl with someone who has knockout power. It's that sort of thing. Someone who's known not to be that quick is trying to outmaneuver and use their speed against someone who is lightning quick. That sort of thing. You're never going to see Chill Sonnen start brawling with Anthony Johnson, right? You're not going to see Dominic Cruz brawl with John Lineker. This is the same way with cardio. A guy like Conor McGregor should not try to outlast guys like, like Habib or Tony Ferguson. Anthony Johnson should not try to outlast Corey Anderson or something, right? No, what Anthony Johnson should be doing to Corey Anderson is taking him out early. If not take him out early, just be powerful enough to get Corey Anderson off of you. If Corey Anderson ever engages you, then you let the power show. And that's when you start exploding. But then again, there are points where you shouldn't be exploding for no reason. I'm saying meaningful attacks, knowing when to attack, game plans, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes finishing the fight early is a better strategy. It depends on the fighter they're facing, depends on who they are, and depends on which openings they see. For an example, Shogun versus Lyoto Machida. When you look at the first fight, Shogun was going for the legs, going for the body. He was throwing a lot of kicks at Lyoto to slow down the movement. And whenever Lyoto came in on him, he went in for a body lock. He went in for the clinch, pushed up against the cage. And this ultimately just dragged on the fight, even though Shogun was doing a lot of damage. He wasn't trying to finish the fight like he did in the second one. In the second one, instead of staying on the outside and kicking at Lyoto a whole lot, he started rushing down with punches, pressuring him through some kicks, and when Lyoto came in on him like he did in the first fight, what did Shogun do? Just threw an overhand right. Didn't go for the grappling. Threw that overhand right, exploded into it, and dropped Lyoto. Sometimes finishing the fight early, putting on the pressure, exploding a little bit more early in the fight is sometimes the better game plan. So that's the podcast, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this. And if you did, make sure you give it a like. If you're listening to the audio version of this, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I apologize if I couldn't answer all you guys' questions. There were a lot of questions. My next video is going to be the Nightmare Matchup. So be lookout for that. And again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.